Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Alexis free, Amazon Echo available for all, Astro Smart Wedding for apartment dwellers, the Roost Smart Battery. I added separate Amazon Echo Bell will fair Lactris Marley prepare to Roost my battery to your to-do list. <laughs> That's what happens when you record the intro to your podcast in the same room as your Amazon Echo. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. It's Saturday, June 27th. Beautiful outside here in Seattle. Hope it's nice where you're at. Today's guest is Cameron Robertson, the CEO of Lockatron, the smart lock manufacturer, who we caught up with a few months ago to talk about their their new Bluetooth smart lock, the Lockatron Bolt. But this week, Cameron and I catch up on the Smart Home news, all the interesting stuff that happened, including Amazon's news about their Amazon Echo becoming available to everyone. We also talk about the Roos Wi-Fi smart battery as well, as well as some other stuff. But the crazy thing about Smart Home and Amazon in particular is they don't rest. And in between the time I talked with Cameron on Thursday, I saw the news that that Amazon had actually unbundled Alexa, the virtual smart assistant, the voice-powered virtual smart assistant that we know and love as part of Echo. They've actually unbundled that, and they're making that available to others. So I actually did a post on that separately, and I didn't talk about that with Cameron, but I just wanted to share that news with you. I thought that was pretty interesting and fairly big news because basically that shows that Amazon is looking to compete more and more with Siri as well as Google Now as well as Microsoft's Cortana. And you're starting to see this battle join around virtual assistants, around artificial intelligence, and Amazon is certainly going to be there. What's interesting also about the Amazon news with Alexa is they actually made available $100 million. They created a fund for, for startups and hardware manufacturers who are looking to incorporate virtual assistant and, and AI technology. And they're basically creating this $100 million fund to, to award to startups who use their technology. I think part of the reason they did this is if you look at, uh, if you look at Google, for example, if you look at Apple, they have an army of developers that create hardware that incorporates and works with their technology, that works with iOS, that works with their app stores. But Amazon doesn't really have the benefit of that because they don't necessarily have an operating system. They don't have this ecosystem of app developers. So I think it's a smart move on Amazon's part. And also, I'm really intrigued to see how some of these smart home startups actually maybe incorporate Alexa. I mean, I've been using my own Amazon Echo for about three weeks now. I haven't really done a review of it, but I have to say it's pretty pretty good voice recognition technology, pretty good AI, and it understands things pretty well. My kids love it. They come in here while I'm working and ask, and ask Alexa to basically play music that I don't like. Uh, which is fine, but I can instantly tell Alexa to stop playing that music and ask ask Alexa the weather, <laughs> and well, as well as some more useful stuff. So I do think the power of this technology, as it becomes more incorporated with smart home technology, will be really intriguing. Right now, you can try some of the mashups where you can use uh, the Echo with Alexa to control things like uh, smart home technology. Because of IFT, IFTTT, there are some there is uh, uh, some technology to allow you to do some interesting things. They've also done first party integrations with Belkin Wemo, as well as Philips Hue. But I think over time, you're going to see a lot more interesting stuff happen. And so as Alexa is built into techno- in different into different smart home systems, I think that'll be really interesting to watch. But hey, let's get on to my conversation with Cameron Robertson and talk a little bit about what else happened this week, as well as hear a little bit about what they're doing over at Lockatron. 
Cameron has some great experience as a smart home startup, startup guy who's been through the battles. I mean, if you don't know the story of Locktron, it's a pretty fascinating one. And we, we asked Cameron to kind of give us some context about some of these other smart home startups that are facing some difficulties or some of the, the rough waters that you may face as a smart home startup. So we talk a little bit about that as well. As always, if you want to listen to more Smart Home Shows, you know where to go. Go to thesmarthomeshow.com. Check out my, my column and my articles about Smart Home. Go to smarthomeweekly.net. And if you're at all interested in the Smart Kitchen, I'm actually putting on a conference. Go to smartkitchensummit.com. And we're actually having a special right now. If you use the coupon code SCHOOLISOUT, you'll get 5% additional off the early bird ticket prices before the end of June. All right, folks, let's get to our interview. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Soundwall, a company which makes connected canvases that play great sound. Last week, Soundwall CEO Aaron Cohen described Soundwall as Sonos meets Instagram. This week, I caught up with Aaron again to ask him what kind of Soundwall his family had. You know, my daughter likes the idea of listening to music while brushing her hair, so we made a mirror product. Really, anything you can hang on your wall can become a connected device that emanates sound. But I have a question for you. How good is the sound? I think it's really good. It's it's good enough for us to offer a money-back guarantee to your audience. I mean, we're selling uh, chalkboards, we're selling mirrors, and we're selling print-your-own-photographs. And we're so confident about the sound that we'll return anybody's money in full within the first 90 days. So I can get a mirror and look at myself, from my, and it'll play music back at me? Yeah, I mean, which I know is a lifelong fantasy. <laughs> we think of that more as the teen girl product, but if it works for you, that's great. Like a lot of companies pioneering in the smart home space, Soundwall is a startup. So the analyst and me couldn't help but ask how they're doing. We're doing really well, but I think you got to be fairly honest about it. We're pre-product market fit. We make this really, really interesting hardware and people love it. But it's hard to know kind of which categories make the most sense for us. Should we print people's photographs like their wedding photos? Because, you know, Mike, all the time people come up to us and say, hey, could I have my wedding photo with my wedding song on a sound wall? We say, cool. Yes, of course you could. Should we cater to fine artists who want to do really specific things, mixing paintings and sound? Should we make mirrors? Should we make chalkboards? For us, the reason I wanted to work with you is your audience is full of early adopters. And I'm hoping that not only do they get involved with Soundwall, but they give us a lot of feedback as well. Soundwall, at the intersection of art, technology, and sound. Check out soundwall.com for more details. Also, email Aaron to get $100 off your first order. That's Aaron at soundwall.com, A-A-R-O-N at soundwall.com. Email him, ask him questions, and tell him that Mike sent you. And now, back to the show. I'm really happy to have Cameron Robertson, the CEO of Locatron, on the show today. How are you doing, Cameron? Hey, hey, Mike. Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I wanted to catch up with you, but uh, first talk about this week's news and kind of what we're seeing. It's been an interesting couple of weeks in yeah. the smart home world. Um, and one that, you know, you've been living in the trenches. So I'm really excited to get your perspective from a guy who's been running a smart home startup in particular, a smart lock startup with, with some really interesting kind of things that have happened over the past year. And we'll get to that, but maybe that'll kind of, uh, I guess, add some additional context, I think, to some, what are the, some of the other struggles other companies are going through. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. So uh, I don't know if you have an Amazon Echo. I've had mine for about uh, three weeks now, and I've been testing out, and I really like it. And one of the cool things uh, that was announced this week, for people who don't know, Amazon Echo is only going to Amazon Prime users for 99 bucks. It's kind of a mm-hmm. steal of a deal as they're trying to seed the market like Amazon does. But this week they announced that they'll be making them available for all shipping uh, in in July. Do you have one? 
No, I I missed out on the ninety nine dollars special, and then I said, well, you you know, I'm just going to wait for the reviews to come in. I'm not sure if I want to do it at you know whatever it is one fifty or two hundred, but uh, I've heard a lot from friends that it is a really cool product. Yeah, twenty thousand um, reviews later on Amazon, Cameron. There's twenty thousand reviews. What are you waiting that's for? That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. What, and you know, Amazon Amazon puts <laughs> it on the front of their their site and they promote stuff heavily, but still twenty thousand is a lot, and that tells me there's probably. Uh, easily a few hundred thousand. Um, I know that there's been a hundred thousand Android downloads of the Android app mm-hmm. and iOS tends to lead. So they've already seeded the market pretty well. Yeah. Um, but most of all their critical reviews have been really, really positive. I know that uh, Stacy Higginbotham over fortune did a really uh, kind of detailed post on her experience on it. Um, other folks of it. And the people that are, I think complaining about it are largely people who expect it to perform miracles. Like I ask it what my, my dad's middle name is and it doesn't know. You know, like people complain about the most random stuff. I'm amazed. Yeah, we've played around with it uh, with with a few friends who have it. How it's able to sort of like parse out the music stuff and like you know find different versions of songs. Um, And yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think it's like the computer from Star Trek yet, but it's a pretty damn good step in that direction. And it's got just all these interesting aspects to it. One of them is the the voice recognition and kind of cl- kind of understanding what you're doing, kind of the Siri-like technology that runs in the cloud. And my understanding is that is all internally developed, unlike the Fire, which I think used a, a third-party um, mm. voice recognition mm. technology. So it, it's pretty darn good. Um, I think most people, most accounts, and my my kind of experience is it's pretty pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm really excited about the potential for connected stuff and and it's kind of the next thing that all my friends who have it say is they're like oh yeah i'm really excited for the moment where i can say uh alexa turn off the lights or alexa lock the doors um that's really interesting to us and now they i think they just open up the hooks for that so people can start to integrate that yeah and i've i've been trying to integrate it with my wemo and they've done i think two first party integrations one with philips hue and one with Wemo, and, and I've just been, uh, I've had a little bit of trouble to get that working, but other people haven't, so maybe it's just my uh, kind of my stupidity or something. But, <laughs> but I have also been taken around a lot with uh, the IFTTT and doing trying to do some crazy recipes. So I think that the that channel, the Amazon Alexa channel for IFTTT, is maybe a good indicator of what could come later. Yeah, and and I think it's a fantastic place to start because so many devices have already plugged plugged into IFT that. Um, you can do a lot without having to wait for the direct integration. A lot of it's, they're kind of hacks right now. I mean, like a lot of it is, okay, Alexa, add to my to-do list, uh, find my phone. Like, so it's like <laughs> yes, going through the that. to-do list to actually do yeah. like commands is a little yes. bit burdensome. So yeah. that's why we're all excited about the first party integration. And they've hired, you know, Amazon has hired a ton of people. If you, I've been watching the job listings and they've been hiring a ton of people to develop software for it. And, I think you alluded to the fact that they opened up the hook, so they created an SDK, I think, in March for third-party developers to to work to it. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited about that, and namely because I think that um, you know when I when I compare it to sort of Siri and HomeKit, and I realize that for now HomeKit is really just going to be Siri, and there's a lot of other magical stuff coming. But when you look at it and you think about it, you're like, yeah, it makes sense that there's this omnipresent computer listening for anyone in my household to give it a command for these other devices versus something where HomeKit means that I have to have my iPhone nearby to, to do these directions, almost like a, you know, like one of those, uh, what is it, the walkie-talkie from Star Trek. You know, I <laughs> yeah, have to like <laughs> hold it up and say, you know, do this Siri versus Alexa is just omnipresent. And that's, that's cool. I think that that to me is actually something that I would prefer to have. 
So yeah, if you're not creeped out, and I think there's some privacy experts who may be creeped out about you know what it's picking up just in kind of the ambient noise, etc. I agree with you. You know, having to pull out your iOS device to do that. I think Apple's thinking along the lines of okay, the Apple TV will be that omnipresent device, but does that mean you have to have your TV on? It doesn't feel like the, the at least the current generation of Apple TV is going to be anywhere near what the Alexa could do, or the the Echo can do because it's not necessarily built for that. So. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, does it have the microphones and all the directions and and all the sophistication? I I don't know. <laughs> So uh, we'll we'll check in with you in a few months to see if you've bought one and uh, see, see what you think. <laughs> I, I guess the implication is yes, I should buy one. <laughs> now, the next piece of news is uh, I, uh, there's one of, you know one of many startups that seems to come out every week. Astro, um, I don't know if you saw that story. Yeah, and announced their smart lighting. And what's interesting is they targeted it towards apartment dwellers. And I've seen you know some I guess smart home stuff sub targeted towards. People, uh, but like, for example, in apartments, but oftentimes it's been security devices or mm-hmm. you know, maybe senior kind of assisted living. I think it's interesting that they're doing smart lighting lighting that's targeted at apartment dwellers. Yeah, I don't quite fully understand the de- delineation there because I feel like in the case of lighting in general, there's rarely been a case for the bulb replacements where you couldn't do it in an apartment. So like you could put in your LifeX in an apartment if you want to and, and take it with you or your Philips Hue. So I think it's, I guess it's, I, I read that as their their product lineup outside of the light bulb will be for apartment dwellers. Um, but the the biggest thing about Astro, and I think a lot of folks in the space that I have is a frustration from usability is somebody turns off the light switch. Now you 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 can't control it through the app. It's just out. You can't. And in the case of Astro, you won't be able to use the speaker. Um, and so I think that it's cool, but it conflicts directly with the the normal usability of the light bulbs. Yeah, and I think that the the designs they have, um, I, I think they had a quote from one of their backers is, you know, this is the beginning of a, a foundation for a smart home platform. Yeah. Why can't the light bulb be the start of a platform for apartments? And th- like to your point just there, I mean, is there going to be an issue with, you know, the normal use case around a light is you turn off the switch and like uh, the kid comes in that room and he shuts it off. Does that then shut off your whole smart home system? Um, yeah. You know, that, that that's kind of a good point. Yeah, and and that's and you know it, this is not a dig on Astro because everybody has to deal with that unless you also do a smart switch. But then of course it wouldn't be conducive for apartment dwellers because you have to rewire stuff. So I think I, you know I think that, that everybody has to deal with that. The interesting thing is you know how does the speaker really change things with this? Um, how am I going to use that speaker? Yeah, yeah, it'll be an interesting watch. Another piece of startup news that came out this week was uh, I had actually talked to these guys, I think, late last year, uh, Roost. And I don't know if you know much about Roost, but they're really mm-hmm. interesting. They have a bunch of guys that came out of the really ultra-low-power Wi-Fi world. I think the original company that Roel Peters had founded had gotten sold to one of the uh, another uh, chip startup. Uh, so they had this kind of, uh, you know, they had built a pedigree around really low-cost Wi-Fi. And so they decided, let's build a a smart Wi-Fi powered battery targeted very specifically at a use case that uh, in terms of using it in smoke alarms. And so yeah. what they basically said is um, we think the retrofit smart home is a good idea. Why go and get a bunch of $99 Nest protects when mm-hmm. you have like, like my, for example, my house has like probably 10 smoke alarms throughout yep. the house. They're, they've been there since I moved in and to kind of, first of all, to scrap those, and throw them in the garbage, you know, that's going to be a, like a lot of kind of a uh, lot of junk and landfills. You don't want to go yeah. landfills, but also it's like a big waste of money. If I can, you know, buy 
these receivers are better. So I, I actually thought that their approach was pretty smart. And so they actually, yeah. this week, what they announced is um, the pricing as, and as well as availability. So $34.99 yeah. for one, $64.99. You may think, well, 34 bucks for a battery is a lot, but not if it's like a, it makes your, I guess your smoke alarm smart. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that their approach is, is really brilliant. And, and I say that because the first thing that we did before Lockatron was a connected smoke detector. Oh, you <laughs> did? Was, I didn't even know yeah. that. Was at the same company or Apogee? Yeah, uh, Apogee was, we were, and, and we never launched it. We, we announced it at our, our Y Combinator demo day at the end of 2009. And we put it together and we said, this is really cool, but who wants to buy a $200 smoke detector? A and B, you know, we were interested in building high touch products that people use on a daily basis, not something that is stuck on a ceiling and you forget about. And so I think it's interesting to see the Nest approach, the Leo approach, and finally this one with Roos. And I, I thought it's almost a progression of, you know, more expensive and fancy to more rational. You know, the Leo approach of having a microphone listening makes a lot of sense to me because then you only have to have one Leo. Um, but the Roost one I really like because it gets to the core of, you know, you, you want the battery to last longer. You don't want, as they say, the 3 a.m. chirp, as I saw on their website. And you want to be able to turn it off, you know, if you burn the toast. And, and to do that all for $35 is, is really smart. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned about having uh, 10 smoke detectors in your house. I was at my parents' house this weekend, and there's been, I think, one smoke detector which has been half hanging off the ceiling for <laughs> I've two <had> years. <laughs> yeah, for two years. Because it's like, nah, it's really high up there, don't want to get the ladder. <laughs> Somebody whacked it with a stick, and so it's kind of just dangling there. And, and so I think, I think the roost approach is really smart. Because to be honest, I can't see my parents spending $1,000 to put in protects on, on all the smoke detectors. Yeah, I mean, I think the the Nest kind of core um, mission of replacing those boring beige boxes in our house is a good one, at least attacking those boring beige boxes because it's like there's like just potentially billions of dollars of opportunity. Like, and I think it, it was a uh, uh, I, I forget which uh, it was one of the venture capital trackers that kind of let's uh, how do you uh, uh, um, how do you kind of deconstruct or attack Honeywell, right? Kind of the mission mm-hmm. of like going after the core Honeywell business is what really Nest is all about. And but I think uh, you said, like you said, this progression of going from let's fully replace a box and throw out the old one to let's let's maybe take some different approaches. Leo is an interesting one, but then like this one. So yeah, it's it is kind of an interesting progression. You know what's what was interesting to me that I learned. I talked to uh, Roll this week, uh, or maybe it was like like late last week um, before they launched uh, this news. You know, they I was wondering, you know, still would you have to replace the battery? Um, like after two years, I mean, because it's not going to last forever. And they said mm. they actually. You know, they listen to their community on this and they actually have a replacement. So you can actually detach the battery from the kind of the electronics on the top. And then for like yeah. $15, you'll have a new battery. So I thought that's pretty brilliant. I, yeah, that's really cool. Um, I appreciate that versus sort of the idea that you have to throw out this $35 product and buy a new one, which just seems, seems wasteful because all the, the electronics are still good. Yeah, all you, all you really have to hope now is that. Uh, Roost stays in business or someone buys them that stays in business because otherwise <laughs> I don't know if you can just, just stick a regular nine volt uh, into the electronics. I think you have to buy their proprietary one. So that's maybe the only drawback, but overall still, I, I think the approach is pretty sound. Yeah. I hope they sell a lot at that price point. I think that um, that's kind of, you know, the way we see the space is, is keep on bringing down the price point to the point at which it matches the utility that you're getting from it. And at 35 bucks, um, I feel like it does if they can sell it for retail uh, at that price. 
know, the next piece of news aligns a little bit with uh, some of the stuff I've been following in the kitchen, and it's actually a bigger announcement. Uh, and I don't know if NCR is like a massive company, mm-hmm. um, one of these kind of big old industrial companies. I actually think they sprung out of the AT&T empire like 30 years ago, They like the hardware side. But they've created this omni-channel com- commerce hub, basically uh, a way for, you know, different companies via, you know, either in kind of brick and mortar storefronts or maybe beacons or, or whatever to connect and, and allow them to kind of connect into commerce. Well, they've integrated with a company called Fresh Hub and I'm probably butchering mm. this explanation, but Fresh Hub is a company that is actually doing smart kitchen commerce, which is a really interesting area. I've been following, I think app, Amazon's finally dabbling in that with Amazon uh, dash replenishment services. I don't know if you saw that, Yep. Um, there's another company called Haiku, which is kind of dabbling in that uh, with a piece of hardware. So I think the pieces are coming together um, for really interesting scenarios in the home. When, once you have all kind of the hardware and the sensors or whatever to then start to kind of do what's really interesting, it, which is services on top of that. And one of that yeah. could be, okay, I, I'm out of groceries. Um, that will be uh, figured out by some sensor. Maybe it's our Amazon uh, maybe it's an echo. Maybe it's like some sort of sensor integrated into my coffee maker. And then it's just auto ordered and sent to me. And so uh, I think it's, but you know, I tend to talk a lot about Amazon, but it's not just Amazon as is illustrated by this news by NCR and fresh hub. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that whole thing with Amazon and then quirky uh, had a couple of those products yeah, which they announced yeah. with the coffee thing. I, I think it's really interesting. I'm just trying to wonder if this is going to get into almost the uncanny Valley of like, machines creepily like spending things on your credit card for you <laughs> and then showing up. Well, that's like, a great no, point. I've, I've got 10 packs of coffee already. Yeah. I don't need one. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Machines buying stuff either accidentally or when the, the rise of the machines happens, they decide they just want to order stuff. <laughs> or, um, you know, there's been a lot of stories about, you know, fairly kind of well-known security experts saying that hackers are just kind of chomping at the bit, waiting to all the stuff is network connected. And then once it ties into your commerce stuff and maybe it taps into your credit card, that gets a little bit worrisome unless this stuff's really sound. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I'm really interested to see where the what the killer use like what the number one killer use case of this is and whether, you know, the the Fresh Hub NCR integration will do it or Amazon if there's one thing where it's like, oh yeah, it's the coffee machine. The coffee machine was always out of coffee. That you know, or it's the diapers or it's there, there's I feel like there's gonna be a killer app for this and it's then gonna show up in you know, 20% of homes in, in a couple of years, but I'm, I can't predict what that is. And yeah, you wonder, does it need to be automated via like sensors or is it like maybe Amazon thinks it can be, uh, cause I, I did see with Amazon echo, you can actually uh, enable commerce through the echo. If you integrate your prime account, say ship more coffee. So maybe mm. having a human command might be at least a little bit of a, a kind of a protection measure versus the machines handling it all and just shipping you stuff. Yeah. 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 So maybe the Terminator vision of the world isn't that they shoot us, but that they spend all of our money. <laughs> I think the bigger, the news here though, is just, I think the the ecosystem's trying to figure out the pieces to put together to kind of enable some of these future commerce scenarios, which I think is interesting. Yeah. At least we, we're not, at least I'm not smart enough. You probably are cause you're a creating real stuff, but, uh, I don't think I could figure it out on this call, but it's something to watch. Yeah, very cool stuff. The last piece of news that I want to talk about before we get into what you guys are doing is, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know it, that Hoover actually had a, you know, Hoover is actually split into two companies. There's a Hoover Europe and there's a Hoover America. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Hoover most of us know about is for vacuum cleaners in the U.S., but Hoover Europe's a fairly, part of a fairly big conglomerate that makes appliances in, in Europe called Candy 
Hoover, and they yeah. announced a, an entirely new line of Wi-Fi enabled appliances. Um, and they actually had been uh, Candy, which is a higher end brand, had also had their own uh, Wi-Fi enabled stuff they announced. I think last year. So it's hmm. interesting, I think, to see. Um, what's happening in Europe. I mean, I've been watching a lot of kind of a, the Europe kind of a, the Asian companies like LG and Samsung, at least the Korean companies, what they've been doing and also Whirlpool GE. So I think it's, I think it's interesting that a European centric company, I hadn't seen the, the kind of this level of coordinated brands or an entire lineup of products. I mean, they, they're announcing a dishwasher, a refrigerator, a washing machine, um, a, a, an oven, all using kind of Wi-Fi power, uh, connectivity and commands that have a, has an app. So I don't know. Have you yeah. been, do you look at white goods very closely with kind of the, just generally watching the smart home? Yeah, we look at a lot of the connected stuff because it's interesting to see the platforms that these guys use at the back end, whether they build their own or they go with someone like Electric Imp or Arrayant or Spark or, you know, all those guys have been around for a while. So we're always intrigued to see what platform they choose. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I'm encouraged by this behavior for what we were talking about, which is uh, with, with the previous, with the Fresh Hub thing, the second order behaviors that emerge because the device is connected. Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't think a lot of folks will find a lot of utility that their oven is all of a sudden Wi-Fi connected. But if somebody builds a brilliant app on top of it, that's really cool to me. That all of a sudden that it, you know, in, in a sense, it opens up this software ecosystem that now can, you know, get get its fingers into all of these things so um yeah i i guess i'm i'm looking at the hoover stuff and i'm comparing that to like the june um smart oven did you see that from a, a week or two ago yeah yeah what did you think of that i mean i think that's i think it's expensive but i think it's fantastically cool because it's like the software side of it is really interesting it's like yeah 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 it's smart and everything but it actually does computer vision to see what the food is and then it cooks it and figures it out um, you know, I think it's, it's clearly going to be a high end product for the next couple of years, but that to me is really painting why you want a Wi-Fi connected oven. Um, and so, uh, you know, if Hoover doesn't build it cool, but maybe, maybe they'll open up an app platform so that somebody could start to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. The Wi-Fi or the June oven with the kind of the computer vision was really interesting. We talked about it a couple of podcasts ago and, you know, they had, uh, the co-founder, one of the co-founders and his name is slipping in my mind now, um, had, I looked at his patents that he had, he'd been responsible for for the iPhone. He came from Apple, did a lot of the early work um, designing some of the, the really cool kind of imaging uh, technologies that are in the, mm-hmm. in the early generations of the iPhone, I'm sure, lived through today. Um, so they had some real horsepower going into that. Uh, but, yeah, I think you're right. That, that you know, it, It's not just that it has Wi-Fi. It's like, okay, what can it do? Um, that imaging stuff is really cool. But then, you know, I, I just remember having a lot of like early devices back in the early 2000s that were just okay. They, they were connected to Wi-Fi, but they couldn't yeah. do anything. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We're kind of a little bit in that stage now with the smart home connected kitchen, but I think they're going to get there once they build all the kind of the cool software on top of it. Well, and you know, one dig here, I'm going to have to say I'm glad that it's Wi-Fi and it's not Zigbee um, because at least Wi-Fi means you can connect it up through the cloud and tie in with APIs. You don't have to worry about the standard. Um, and I think that's, that, that was always a concern to me. I, I'm not sure if it was like five years ago when somebody's whole product lineup was going to be Zigbee enabled and you're like, oh gosh, you know, what happens if, you know, there, maybe that was Zigbee 1.0 or Zigbee Pro and that doesn't exist anymore. And now it's like, okay, Wi-Fi, that's fine. Yeah. Software I, with that. <laughs> I feel like the, the, the new entry, like, okay, if you're like a kind of a standard appliance maker, you make ship lots of metal, you know, like a fairly standard category and it's line powered and you, ha- your roots aren't coming from like 
kind of like the home automation world, I think a lot of these guys are going to choose Wi-Fi. And then if it's a lo- kind of a low power type of cordless scenario, I think a lot of them are looking very closely at Bluetooth. Um, kind of like what you guys ultimately switched towards because, you know, Bluetooth is such, uh, you know, so optimized towards low power, but, um, to choose, to choose, I, I do think Zigbee and Z-Wave continue to, to live, but I think if you're just like someone like, like, uh, Hoover and you're making this whole new lineup, you know, why wouldn't you choose Wi-Fi? Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't you, especially with the hardwired stuff? Yeah. Cause you go into homes like, you know, the, the hundreds of millions of homes with Wi-Fi versus the, you know, 10, <laughs> you know, 10, you know, five to 10 million of Z-Wave, you know, so. Um, there's yeah. just a much bigger addressable audience. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and it means that all of a sudden it, you don't have to worry about having to replace your oven because a standard died off. Um, Wi-Fi isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I think Z-Wave and Z-Wave have their place in the, kind of the, the current kind of managed smart home space and kind of security scenarios that they're do, it's doing really doing really well well there. But that's for kind of an entire home automation system. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get an update because I think people want to hear where you, you're coming from. I think it was maybe, uh, oh, I don't know, six months back where we caught up with you because you had announced you're switching from uh, you know, your first generation Lockatron, or actually I think it's a second generation, but the one you yeah. did a huge crowdfunding campaign for was Wi-Fi. And you know, that was really high profile, but you kind of, you know, you had this d- decision you made, 10,000 units sh- you chipped and you decided this just isn't going to work from a long-term standpoint. We need to move to Bluetooth. Where are you today? How are things going? Yeah, yeah. So we announced, I guess it was uh, just over four months ago, we announced Lockatron Bolt. Okay. And we've, we've recently started out shipping out the beta units. And, and the, the biggest focus of switching from the crowdfunded Lockatron, as we call it, to Lockatron Bolt was we need to make something incredibly robust and incredibly reliable that a person can use every single day for five years. Um, versus our last generation product where we put all these bells and whistles into it and we put the Wi-Fi in there and we had battery and mechanical issues and manufacturing issues. And we said, that is not going to cut it. You know, it's cool if the person is excited about it and they buy it, but if they only use it for two weeks, um, we clearly haven't solved any problems for them. And so what we're excited about is the beta units we've been shipping are validating that. They're much more robust than the old units going out. Um, you know, the mechanical side is phenomenal. The manufacturing is great. Uh, the electronics are much simpler, easier for us to program and develop on. So all around, um, things are really looking up. Uh, and then, you know, we're still waiting on a, a couple of tools for the, the full production units a little bit later this year. And you you said you're shipping out beta betas, which is different than what you did with the first uh, or with the first crowdfunded lock. Yeah. And that's made all the difference in the world because you're actually working out the kinks. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, this is something where folks in the space who are working on a connected device or something always ask us, you know, what is one of the biggest regrets you had? And I say, always, always start with a beta because A, you can get really excited, engage backers in early, but B, you can do it in sort of a closed environment where they know the risks, you can test it out, things can crash, you can work on the mechanical piece. And, you know, the expectations are set correctly versus the last generation Lockatron where we shipped very, very alpha units to our first customers who weren't expecting it. And it was terrible and, and really stupid and, and we shouldn't have done that. So I, I always say having a beta um, is absolutely critical for a hardware company. And even if you don't have millions of dollars in, in the bank where you can run a beta first, you can still do it in a crowdfunding scenario where you just section off the first 100, 500,000 units and say, look, you're in the beta category 
And you will find enough supporters who, who want to try stuff out and work through the bugs with you. And w- one of the other things that's interesting about this one is you are coming in at a price point that really hasn't been seen I, that I know uh, for a full smart lock with a deadbolt included. I think you guys are going to – you're, you're going to target that $99 price point. Yeah. That's, that's a – that's a pretty, uh, you know, that's a good tier that we haven't seen at retail yet. You know, the August lock comes in over 200. Um, Kibo is, I think, in the mid 100s at this point. Um, is it is it is it 199 or 149? I can never remember. Um, and so, but you guys are coming in 99 dollars. How did you get the price so low to make that affordable? Yeah, this is where really all of our experience working on it for so many years plays in because we built the relationships on the manufacturing side to find the right lock factories that were able to do this and had experienced manufacturing um, electronic locks like keypad locks for years and years. And we said, look, you know, we'll take care of the full electronics, the industrial design, but give us a core working mechanical component that's affordable robust and and we're going to start with that versus doing our own fully custom mechanical design so that that meant that we found you know really a huge amount of cost savings there because we're using a lot of existing tools for that mechanical part don't have to cut new tools and then along with that we just got really really efficient with the electronic design we had a lot of interesting stuff we tried in the last gen Locatron, like wi-fi on board and a really sophisticated knock sensor we had three microprocessors on there two radios. I mean, it's just lots of stuff that we threw into it. And what we learned after the fact is, you know, why don't we focus on simple, straightforward um, circuit board, bring the cost down a huge amount, and we can bring back the features later and other accessories. So, you know, the Wi-Fi component, we have a bridge device, which we're also going to be launching alongside Locatron Bolt, which gives you the the remote capability. But because it plugs into your wall, of course, it it doesn't drain your battery life. So you guys probably spent a lot of time uh, in, in, in Asia trying to find the right guys to help you manufacture it? Yeah, exactly. We, we made a ton of great relationships there and we, we learned who the right factories are to manufacture a mechanical product and, and who the wrong factories are. And it's not always apparent um, what that means. So in our case, uh, you know, factories that had experienced manufacturing toys are much better experienced to do high-quality finished consumer electronics goods than um, you know, other factories we worked with who did things like power tools. We thought, oh, power tools, motors, you know, they should be pre-experienced. That, that in fact, was not the case. So you know, we, it's one of those things where you sort of learn trial by fire. You have to go through it. You have to live in China. You have to go to Taipei and, and Hong Kong and, and Shanghai and check all this stuff out. Um, but now we're feeling you know, much better about the partner we're working with. I imagine there's a few startup uh folks listening are scribbling furiously and maybe they're going to be call and go, which manufacturers are those again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'd say there's two routes to this. Uh, One is the poor man's route. And one is the, you know, you talk to PCH and guys who are experienced at this. And one of the poor man's routes that I always say for, for founders who are building any type of hardware is go on to Alibaba, go on to AliExpress and just search for all the manufacturers who make stuff kind of similar to what you're doing. So I was talking to some smart um, kitchen folks and, and they'd found, you know, whatever it was, like a, a, a cookware maker on Alibaba, and that's, that's how they located their factory. And then they went out there, they checked out the factory, they found they made great stuff. Um, you know, they quoted it a, amongst a few other ones that they also found on Alibaba. But uh, it's, it's really incredible how, you know, you, you in fact can do some of this stuff on a budget. Um, it's higher risk, but if you go out there and visit them and see that they're a real factory and that they've done quality stuff before... Uh, you might not have to 
hire a really expensive consulting firm to do it for you. Let's step back and look at the SmartWalk space very quickly because in 2010, I think when you started talking and doing walks, um, it, really you guys were one of the first out there to look at doing a kind of modern SmartWalk beyond kind of the first wave of Zig yeah. Z-Wave stuff. You know, then came, you know, eventually we saw August and, and Dana Walk and, and, you know, some of the others. But now I think we're going to see another wave of guys. Are you kind of seeing that there's, you know, a bunch of new guys coming, uh, launching walks on Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah. There's still a lot of folks coming into the space and they all have a really interesting take on it. So I think that, you know, there's this uh, one lock on Kickstarter, which is a door handle now, which is pretty cool. We've seen, uh, I've seen door handles before, actually, but I don't think they were nearly as close to production as this one was. We've seen more over-the-door lock type stuff. Um, you know, this year, uh, I, think, I, I think I've lost count, but it's been close to half a dozen companies that we've either seen crop up or, or heard are going to be launching soon. So, you know, it's, it's crazy the, the number of companies that are going to be in this space. And, and, yeah, I expect there to be some consolidation at some point. Speaking of consolidation, you know, I wrote last week about a coming shakeout, and then there's there's a whole bunch of people writing pieces based on you know some some research about, put out by a company called Argus, but the demand has dropped for smart home stuff. And I wrote a piece this week because I think there's been like it kind of the pendulum swung from one end of the spectrum to the other, where everyone's mm-hmm. uh, I guess you know worried about the future. And what I said is like there's some certain categories that are doing pretty well. Uh, you have to look holistically at the market. I think a lot of the volume today. Into what's going to what are smart homes are managed through service providers, you know, because you have Comcast, Time Warner, AT&T, all shipping this market. And a lot of it's packaged as security. Uh, but I think, you know, it's just going to – we're going to see some shakeout where some companies go out of business, but overall we're going to get there. And I think some of it's kind of going to have to be based around what we talked about, you and I, earlier in the podcast, building those service layers, those application layers that make things mm-hmm. interesting, intriguing, that resonate and kind of uh, make consumers interested in some of the, you know, the magical stuff you can do. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that ultimately, you know, it always comes back to there. There are two. There, there's there's uh, two sides to what we see with our product, but I would say connected locks in general, which are you have the the terrible experience with the product where it locks you out, the batteries die, you know, there's some issue, and you never use it again. But on the flip side, there's the phenomenal experience where you have such a great experience and you're like, you know, I was away from home. I was at the office, 30-minute drive away, and my parents showed up for the weekend early from the airport and I was able to unlock the door for them. That's amazing. That saved me time. Or, you know, my kid got home from school and it was too early and, you know, they're able to get in using their smartphone. Those are the kinds of stories that, you know, we are really interested in of where it's an amazing product and then they tell all their friends about it. And it's not amazing because they saw it on Kickstarter and it looks cool. It's amazing because they actually experienced that use case themselves. Uh, and those are the stories where, you know, I think it's interesting because they will occur through these whole, uh, you know, Comcast uh, cable company approaches. Um, but then at a certain point, someone will say, oh, you've got that whole Comcast system that costs you 50 bucks a month and has that cool door lock. Yeah. Well, I just picked it up for $99 uh, and I, I don't have to pay 50 bucks a month for it. So I think, you know, we're excited by how much money these companies are pouring into it because it just, it, it raises the awareness for the whole space. I can't figure out, I mean, I think I can, but I'd love to get your opinion. Like has HomeKit hurt or helped the space? Because like you said, like it's kind of just dragging along and along and, I think people were thinking it was this magical elixir you'd sprinkle over the smart home space and it would grow beautiful green grass. I mean, but it's, I think Apple's having a little more 
difficulty rolling this out than they anticipated, partly because it's not as easy as shipping a watch. You know, they have to kind of water and feed an ecosystem of of a hundred different third party devices. Um, yeah, and each one of these companies are in their own kind of like production cycles. So, I, I don't know what what's your thought on that. Well, so Apple approached HomeKit the same way they did with their MFI accessories when they first allowed for made for iPhone stuff. Um, I guess it was uh, 2008, 9, 10, somewhere in there. And so they approached it of we can set up these really strict you know protocols that all these companies have to follow. But the problem is, unlike an MFI accessory where you're either charging a phone or you have like a headset or it's Bluetooth, all of a sudden when you get into connected home devices, of course, as you know, there's just all of these different devices you have to think about and all of their different schemas and all of these things. So I think that they didn't quite fully anticipate the complexity of it and just how much herding cats they would have to do in order to get uh, everybody in the right place for it. Um, you know, there, there's not, we're, we're still very interested in HomeKit, uh, and I, I can't say much there uh, of how we're pursuing it, but I would say there was an article that came out by the guy who does Ecobee, I think one of the, the founders of Ecobee, on their experience with HomeKit, and that's a good read if, you, if you've seen that. It's on the Ecobee 3, and basically he's describing how they're shipping Ecobee 3s, and all of a sudden because of HomeKit, and they didn't anticipate the hardware side of it, there's going to be a cutoff where some of the Ego B3s work because they have the HomeKit hardware in it and some don't. And it's a date cutoff. It's not even a model cutoff. And it's, it's, it's a really sort of frustrating experience. Yeah, they almost should have just called it the Ego B4 with HomeKit capability or something. I think they should have actually renamed it because, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'll, we'll see. But I'm sure they're going to have a lot of frustrated customers. They're like, you know, I paid whatever, 150 200 bucks for this and now – you know, just because I bought it before, I think it was like June 21st, um, I'm screwed. So Yeah, but then, and then there's others. Like you're, there's, you know, people making garage doors and why doesn't my garage door work with HomeKit? And, and so it's, you can multiply Ecobee times like 100 and there's all these companies that are going to experience problems. I'd be interested to hear your opinion on um, uh, Brillo and Weave. I mean, I, I think I don't know if Bro would uh, kind of work so much for Lockatron, but I think you could layer in Weave. Yeah. Basically. And so, what are your thoughts on on Weave and what Google's doing there? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's clearly in the same vein as some of the HomeKit stuff. But the the big distinction between HomeKit and Weave is that Weave is going to be an open standard, so it's going to be published, and it's not going to be sort of like hidden in the walled garden, which I think is great. So that everybody knows and can agree that, yeah, this is a smart way to approach this. Um, yeah, of course, with the Brillo stuff and running on a Linux platform, they're, they're cognizant of that is my understanding. And they know that they'll, you know, they'll want this stuff to run on an embedded platform. When I, when I heard you know, that's what came out of the Google I.O. stuff. So I, I think it's interesting. The biggest conundrum that everyone's going to have is, you know, do I build a product with HomeKit and Weave? and do all this extra engineering to incorporate both of these things and potentially have multiple extra hardware pieces that I have to build in my product? Or, you know, how, how, do, I, how do I as a maker approach this? And, and to be honest, I think for companies that are, you know, smaller and have less resources like ourselves, you kind of have to wait it out a little bit. You have to stand by the sidelines and say, well, I don't have, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 in engineering time to build um, this protocol the software protocol into my product yet. Um, you know, yeah, if you can guarantee me my sales will 5x, sure, that's a great investment. But at this point, uh, no one knows that's the case. And and I think that's going to be the trickiest thing with Weave as opposed to HomeKit is with HomeKit, Apple can say, well, yeah, it's in the Apple store. You know, we'll put your product here 
or people will learn about it and, and they'll just buy it. Versus Weave, Google doesn't have the same commerce power that Apple does to push your product um, as a result of you know other hardware devices. I mean, the Nexus line is beautiful and all, but just because it works better with a Weave product, I don't think that it, it has the same um, appeal as you walk into an Apple store, you pick up a thing with a label on it, and, and you're set. So, yeah, all of us are waiting for the shakeout yeah. here, really. <laughs> and Google as a company has, like, as Google tends to do, a lot of different kind of efforts that aren't necessarily kind of all beating to the same drum. <laughs> you have like Nest, which came out with their, they refreshed yeah. their lineup. Um, and of course, they'd been working on that for like a long time. So none of it had Bro or Weave in it um, when they announced the new Nest camera last week and their new. Well, so, you know, it, <laughs> that's just kind of the, what Google is. I mean, they're like kind of this bunch of disrupt. So I think over time it'll get more coordinated, but now it's, it seems like kind of a lot of, it's almost a mess. Yeah, so I guess like Weave can live on top of Thread is my understanding of it. So you can do Thread, but then, you know, Thread is really, I guess I've learned to look at Thread not as um, a schema, but more as just a replacement for Zigbee. So if you want to run in, what is it, an 802.15.14. Yeah, exactly. 15 radio, then you'll want to use Thread instead of Zigbee, which, which makes sense to me. The, the whole reason why we never looked at Zigbee radios is because the schema was just so controlling versus Thread, which, which gives you more opportunity. But yeah, I agree that, you know, there's a lot of questions there, which is like, well, what if I invest all this money to build a Weave product and will Nest come out with a competing product next year? <laughs> so, uh, hard to say. Yeah, so uh, I think I, the next year they spent, they're going to spend just trying to get all the stuff kind of sorted and like into like a cohesive story. Cause right now the story I don't think is very cohesive. Um, and, but I guess I would just say that Nest is like their hardware group, like kind of their own branded hardware but all this other stuff i think is they're trying to it's more kind of someone else called it kind of googleish where they're trying to seed the ecosystem with their software platforms yeah bit, so. yeah I, I have to say the one thing i'm happy about is the timing with weave i think that google is smart to start to do this now because one of the things that we see is like with bluetooth low energy they lag behind apple for close to 24 months they were they were not refusing to do anything with bluetooth low energy and and so that's still hurting all of us bluetooth le makers today because they're the the smartphone fragmentation and everything is a mess but given that weave is really sort of only a year out from HomeKit, i think that bodes well for its potential to actually see the light of day in in other products so um, I, I don't know i'm i'm cautiously optimistic there Hey, well, Cameron, I think, you know, if they ever create a smart home university, you could be one of the kind of the, the elder statesmen and, and kind of uh, <laughs> because you've you've lived the war story. So uh, where can some, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but where can some of the, the smart home startups see you on Twitter so to kind of follow your wisdom? Yes, I'm uh, just at C Cam Robertson. And where can they find your website at Lockatron.com? Yep, we're just at Lockatron.com. So um, take a look at it. Take a look at Bolt, and we're excited to, you know, finally be be shipping again. It's it's nice after a, a little hiatus there. Where can someone who hasn't ordered anything, they're not on the early list. When will they be able to buy one? The generally available stuff probably won't be till September October. Okay. Hey Cameron, thanks a lot, man. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, Mike. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cameron Robertson. He has some great perspective. Having gone through the battle of creating a, a Kickstarter product and then having to go to his backers 10,000 units in and saying, hey, we actually have to make a new product that works better. Pretty fascinating. So I hope you enjoyed that. Find out more about Lockatron. Just go to Lockatron.com. As always, thank you for listening to The Smart Home Show. You can find us at thesmarthomeshow.com. Find us at technology.fm. And have a conversation with me at Twitter if you want. Just go to, uh, to Twitter. Find me at Michael Wolf. I always love to hear from people who are listening to the show. All right, folks, till next week, we'll talk to you soon.